With that, I want to jump in. I'm going back here for a little bit, though, to start off this message, and I'm going to move back to the front of the stage in just a minute, because I'm going to use the whiteboard just a bit today. We're in our final uh, series, I'm sorry, final message of this series called Resolve, and in this series we've been talking about things that we're committed to and devoted to and determined to be about as a church. And at the very center of our calling and of the calling and mission of every single church is this command, this commission from Jesus to his followers that comes at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's right at the center of who we are and what we should be about. Jesus says to his followers, now go and make disciples. And just to get really clear about this, a disciple is not just somebody who believes a certain set of truths. A disciple... In the first century, a disciple, what Jesus meant by this word, is someone who follows. A disciple is a follower. Actually, there's a great definition of a disciple, and I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you. A disciple is someone whose entire life and existence is increasingly shaped by, surrendered and submitted to, the person that they follow. Think for a second just about that. In this case, that person for us would be Jesus. Think about your life. Think about the level of disciple that you are. Think about where you are in that process of turning your entire life and existence over to be shaped by and surrendered and submitted to the person of Jesus Christ. This is at the very core of why we gather, the very center of the mission and purpose of the church. You see, no matter where you are in this discipleship process, our goal, our aim as a community of believers is to help you grow in that, to help you move down the spectrum of being a follower of Jesus. So maybe you're here today and you're just starting that journey. You're just starting that project. Just getting your toes wet. Just starting to get to know God. We're here to help you grow. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle of your journey. Or maybe you've been on this path of following Jesus for a really long time. Our goal, our aim as a church is to push you, encourage you, help you move further towards full surrender to Jesus Christ. To become more of a disciple of His. At Cedar Mill, we we do something to help this process, to help us understand it and see it. We break this down. We say a disciple of Jesus is someone who grows, continually grows in three main areas. Faith, love, hope. We didn't just pull these out of the air. These are three of the core central categories that the New Testament uses to describe people who are followers of Jesus. People growing in faith, learning to trust God more in every area of their life. People who who are growing in love, people who are receiving love from God, it's getting poured into them and then they in turn are pouring love out onto any and everyone they meet. And then finally, people of hope, people who are growing and understanding that their contentment and peace and joy and satisfaction and comfort does not come from their present circumstances, good or bad, but they lean on God's promises, what he promises and plans for us in the future, and that is what drives and shapes our lives. People of hope. And so at Cedar Mill, we say our, at the very center of who we are, we are to make disciples, people who follow Jesus with all that they are, people who are growing in faith, love, hope. So, but here's the challenge. So our, our calling, our mission is to grow people in Christ. And yet, the question is, can we do this? 
Do we have the ability, do we have the capacity to make people grow? And the answer is no. We've been given an impossible task by God. We cannot make people grow. We actually can't do this. We can't make it on our own, of our own accord and ability, our own strength. We cannot make disciples. I have here a bowl full of seeds. And we all know that seeds can grow, right? That seeds do grow. But in my own strength and power, I cannot make these seeds grow. I mean, I can tell them to grow. I can think about them growing. I can wave my hand over them and like hope they'll grow. I can say like, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, you know, giggity-giggity-grow. I can throw them on the ground up here. You know, I cannot make these seeds grow. What I can do is I can put them in environments conducive to growth and hope that they'll grow, but I cannot, of my own accord, make them grow. And, and Paul, in the Bible, in the New Testament, actually says the same thing is true in the spiritual life. He says, you cannot make people grow. This is actually 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You see, the beautiful thing about the mission of the church, the mission that we've been given, is that self-reliance, self-dependence will not get it done. If we want to accomplish God's mission, we will have to rely on God's Strength woven into the very nature of what it means to be the church is this idea that we must continuously and constantly grow in our dependence and reliance on God. But what we can do, what we're called to do, and I think the, the sort of main purpose, our role in this process is we can create environments conducive to growth. We can create environments that will foster growth, that will help people grow, that will allow people, give them a chance to grow in Christ. And in this series, we've been talking about a series of these environments. There's actually four of them. Some of you have picked up on this. Others of you have not, which is why we're making it really very clear today. Four environments conducive to spiritual growth, conducive to growing and making disciples, people who follow Jesus. Environment number one. Talked about this a number of weeks ago. The gathering of the church. The Greek word there was ekklesia, when people gather around the mission and vision of God, uh, a commitment to Jesus Christ, we call it Sunday worship. Did you know that from the very beginning of the church, this has been taking place? In Acts chapter 2, the new believers, those who have trusted Christ, come together continually and constantly for worship and prayer and teaching and to declare the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the sharing of the Lord's Supper and to rally together around Jesus and the mission that he had given them in this world. From the very beginning of the church, the church has been gathering. And when the church gathers, people grow. Friends, that's what we want here. We want this gathering place, this moment where we come together to be a time of growth, to be a catalyst, an environment where you can grow spiritually, a place where you can invite your friends, no matter where they are on the spiritual growth continuum, and they can grow, they can have a chance to move forward in relationship with Christ. 
And friends, I'll just say this, because I talked about it a few weeks back. The number one factor in creating an environment of growth on a Sunday morning, resurrection day, gathering of the church, is not how friendly the greeters are, although we really like friendly greeters. It is not how good the guitar players on stage are, although we really like good guitar players. It is not even the quality of the message, although we really, really like good messages here and get them occasionally when Matt preaches. Anyway, um, none of that is the prime indicator or determining factor of whether or not this will be a wonderful growth environment for you. Here's the number one indicator. The posture of your heart when you come. This is why... We talked a number of weeks back about coming to church, ready to be the church. Coming to the church, expectant and open, ready to hear from God. That's environment number one, Sunday worship. Environment number two, relationships. A number of weeks ago we talked about how sin has caused us to hide from one another. Sin has marred our relationships with each other. And yet God comes and Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, there is to be no more hiding. Relationships that are vulnerable and honest and marked with authenticity will be environments conducive to growing and learning to follow Jesus, to becoming people of greater faith and love and hope. And friends, we do that. In the little sphere we call here groups, community groups. That's environment number two. An environment where you can grow in Christ. Environment number three, we talked about this last week. Environment number three is this amazing reality that when you use your unique, God-given spiritual gifts in service alongside other people in the church to advance the kingdom of God and proclaim the gospel in this world. Not only does the church get built up, not only does the kingdom move forward, but something changes in you. You actually mature. You actually stretch. You actually grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. Your faith and love and hope quotients, they go up when you serve. Because serving is like a God-growth greenhouse. So serving on a team of people is actually environment number three, where growth can happen, where discipleship happens. And so here at Cedar Mill, we are going to uh, be ever-increasingly talking to you about where you're serving, pushing you, cajoling you, uh, forcing you, manipulating you, doing whatever we need to do to get you using your gifts on a serving team because we know that when you get in this environment, there's a high, high likelihood that growth will happen. So those are the three environments we've talked about thus far. And finally, that takes us to the environment for growth I want to talk about today. It's this fourth environment over here. In some ways, this this fourth environment, this last environment, is the aim and the target of all these other environments. In some ways, the faith, love, and hope fostered in these three environments will be tested and challenged and tried in this fourth environment. In some ways, these three environments here actually prepare us to walk with and live for Jesus here. But in other ways, this final environment, this last one over here, 
It can foster faith. It can grow faith and love and hope in you in a way that none of these other three can. In fact, I'll venture to say this. This final environment might be the most important environment for Christ followers to actually follow Christ. And yet, unfortunately, as essential as this environment is to our calling, and as important as it is to our mission, and as critical as it is to our growth, many, many followers of Jesus do not take advantage of seeking to fully follow Him here. When it comes to this last environment, many of us, many of us just seek to exist. We just try to survive or hope to get by. This final environment, friends, anyone know what it is? It's called the world. It's the place that God loves. It's the place that we live. It's actually what Jesus died for on the cross. And believe it or not, friends, from the very beginning of the Bible, God has always said, this is an environment ripe for mission. This is where God's mission is to advance and go forward. This is where God longs to be at work. Remember a guy named Abraham? Remember Abraham in the Old Testament? God comes to Abraham right at the beginning of the very first book of the Bible and God grabs him and he says, Abraham... I would like to make, to adopt you. I'm going to use you to create a people, a people of my very own. I'm going to have my own people, God says. And he says, I'm going to be with this group of people, Abraham. And he says, I'm going to guide this group of people, and I'm going to lead this group of people, and I am going to bless this group of people, God's people. But here's the question, why? Why does God go to Abraham and adopt and grab a hold of this, this group of people to call them his own and to bless them? He blesses them so that they, in turn, can be a blessing in the world. You see, that was God's plan all along. God loves to bless. In fact, the entire reason he creates is just so that he can bless. He's a God of blessing. And so he grabs this group of people and says, I'm going to bless you. And then through you, the entire world's going to get blessed. Genesis Chapter 12, I will bless you, Abraham, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. One scholar said this became a critical text for the people of Israel. This became sort of a a, a benchmark, a signpost for who they were and why they existed. And over and over and over again, throughout the Pentateuch, throughout the the book of Genesis, this, this call is offered. Abraham, I will bless you. You'll become a powerful nation. And then all other nations will be blessed through you. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Over and over and over again, Genesis 18, 22, 26, 28. Friends, is there any doubt why God blesses Abraham? Is there any doubt what God longs for his people to do in the world? He wants his people to go out in the world and bless. The God of blessing asks his people to go out into the world and bless. Now, to bless simply means this. To add life. To enhance Life to give life, to make life abundant. That's to bless. 
Now listen to these words from Jesus. This is John chapter 10. I came, Jesus says, that they, the people of this world, that all of creation may have life and have it abundantly. Do you think Jesus understands God's mission in and heart for the world? You bet he does. You bet he does. I mean, and and this doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. I mean, did Jesus ever bless the people he encountered? All the time, right? Everyone who met Jesus was blessed, it, it seems like, almost. And no, actually, that's not true. There were a couple people who weren't blessed when they met Jesus. The really, really religious people, they didn't get blessed when they met Jesus. And the people with lots of power that they were trying to cling to. But everyone else, they met Jesus and they just seemed to get blessed. The woman at the well, the children, the little children, the blind and sick and lame, the lepers and sinners and tax collectors, the cripple guy, remember him? His friends lower him through a hole they make in a roof over and over and over again. All these people are coming to Jesus and they are getting blessed. When people meet Jesus, the blessings just start flowing. And friends, at the very center of our calling, as Jesus' church, as his people, our mission in the world is to do what he did. Our mission, the mission God has always had for his people, is to be a blessing. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about when you, the world, when you go out into the world and when you encounter the world, are you thinking to yourself, I can't wait as a follower of Jesus to just be a blessing? How many people think, man, when I think of the church, I just think of groups of people out to bless the world. It seems we've missed this somehow. I'm not sure how. Maybe not all of us, and maybe not all the time, but somehow we have missed this very central calling as God's people, as the church, to be a blessing in this world. Now sometimes when we think about being a blessing in the world, we instantly go to, like, around the world. Instantly we think about, yeah, we're going to be a blessing in the world, we're going to go to Africa. And I love it when we go to, I've been to Africa, going to Africa is a wonderful thing. But it is not an excuse to not be a blessing in the world you live in here and now. I am all for missions. I am all for missionaries. I am all for missions trips. They are wonderful, wonderful ways that we go out into the world to be a blessing. But, friends, but the primary place, the central place, hear me on this. You are called to be a missionary, a blessing in the world, is the world where you live Every single day. That's what God longs for you. That's what he wants for you. That's what he calls you to do and who he calls you to be. And the world, by the way, for you, just to help you define your world, is any place your life takes you on a daily basis. Any and every place your life takes you on a daily basis, you are called to represent Christ, to be a blessing, to be a missionary in that place. Your world, friends, is your car, your house, your neighborhood, your office, your kid's school, your book club, your buddies that you play soccer with, your friends you drink coffee with, the grocery store where you buy your food, the restaurants where you go to have your food cooked for you. All those places and many, many more are the places you are called to go and be a blessing in the name of Jesus as God's people. 
The final environment is actually the environment we spend the most time in. We spend about 5% of our time in the first three environments and 95% of our time in the fourth. By the way, what percentage of your life does that put you in an environment where you get a chance to follow Jesus and be a disciple and grow in faith and love and hope and live that out? What percentage? It's 100%. You are never not a follower of Christ. Does that make sense? You are never not a follower of Christ. I'm confusing myself. You're always a follower of Christ. You never get a break. And the question today, the challenge today, the opportunity for us today is to embrace a new way of thinking of the world. Do you see your world, wherever that is for you, as a place where God wants you to be a blessing? Do you go into your day and think, how can I just... Walk out the front door and bless people's socks off in the name of Christ today. Because that's what I believe God would long for his church uh, to live. What he'd long for us to do. You see, the gospel, by the way, the good news, it's the ultimate message of blessing. There's a life of blessing and then there's this ultimate message of blessing. And here's the ultimate message of blessing. Through Jesus, life with God is now possible for people who never thought they would qualify. People who before thought, man, I couldn't make it. God must not love me. I'll never measure up. Now, because of Jesus, life with God is possible here, now, and forever because of the cross, because of death and resurrection. That is the gospel. That is good news. Blessing from God available today because of Christ for everyone. And friends, that message of hope was always intended to be paired with It was always intended to flow out of a life of hope. You see, our primary calling isn't just to go give a message of hope. We're to live lives of hope and let the message of hope partner with and flow out of our lives. This is why Peter writes this in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the judgment that you have for everyone else. No. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the righteousness that you've attained. No. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, when we just embrace this hope from God, when it starts to fill us and overflow out of us, that's when people say, what's up with you? What's going on with you? Something's different about you. I would like to hear more. And that's when the message of the gospel can come off our lips and make an impact and draw people to Christ. So now in the time remaining, I want to talk just for a minute about what it looks like to share Jesus in this world. What it looks like to give the reason for the hope that we have. When we live this life of blessing, and then people are curious, and then we have opportunity to share Christ, how do we do it? What does it look like to give the reason for the hope that we have? Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. Both of these words, interestingly enough, communicate this one central fact. This situation... This sharing Christ, this offering the gospel, this sharing the hope that we have situation is to be handled with extreme care. 
The word there for respect is actually the word for fear. It's like handle this thing with fear and trembling. It's like carrying mom's best like China dish. Like you carry it and you are focused. You do not want to drop it. It is valuable. It is precious. Handle this moment with extreme care. Paul says the same thing in Colossians chapter 4. Be wise, he says, in the way you act toward outsiders. Now, I actually don't really love that translation. It's one of my least favorite NIV translations because it kind of makes it sound like these people who are outside, these non-believers are you know, suspect and that we should be careful and suspicious and nervous when we talk to them. And that is not exactly what Paul is trying to say here. What Paul is trying to say, what Peter is trying to say is that when we talk to people about Jesus, when people are open to having a conversation about spiritual things and about God and about what it means to follow Christ, we should be smart and prudent and very strategic in those moments. These are not moments to waste. These are not moments to just sort of let float past. Now, he says be wise. Be wise with these moments. Let me talk to you for just a second here about what it means to not be wise. Because sometimes we learn by hearing what not to do as much as we learn when we hear what we should do. And so I want to talk to you about two things that you should not do in this moment. Two ways that you can be wise. Wisdom when sharing Christ in the world with people interested in learning about the hope that you have. Wisdom says don't be weird. Now, this seems like a no-brainer. I know, you're thinking, did you have to say that, Pastor Dave? I think I... No, I know you could, but we've all experienced this before. There's something about people talking about following God that just makes them weird. You've had this... You've experienced this. Someone has talked to you about their experience with God, and things have gotten weird real fast. And maybe, hopefully, you're at a place where you could handle it, but some people aren't. I know, God works in strange ways. I know, God has done crazy, amazing, miraculous things in your life. But when you're talking to someone about life in Christ, consider this. Maybe they're not ready to hear all that yet. Be wise in the way you talk with people about your experience with Christ. Don't get all weird. Don't do it like this guy. Take a look at this. So, I've kind of been meaning to ask you this for a while. Uh, this whole God thing seems to mean a whole lot to you. I mean, what's the story there? Wow. You ready to have your mind blown? Sure. <laughs> this is June 21st, 2003, the summer solstice. I sat alone in my studio apartment eating my breakfast. I had just poured myself a large bowl of cinnamon toast to crunch. It's a little cereal, little toast with cinnamon swirls on, quite good. I was about to take another bite. I looked down at my spoon. One of the toasts appeared to be abnormal. I turned my spoon to get a better look. The light from the window hit the cinnamon swirls perfectly. And I saw... Plain as day, the face of Jesus Christ himself staring me right in the face. Oh yeah. I drop my spoon. I fall to my knees. I called out to God. And in that moment, my hips, my hips began to tingle. Uh, 
To this day, I don't know why. Uh, but what I do know is from that day forward, I was never the same, and I have been following him ever since. That's unbelievable. You want to hear the crazy part? No. I get back in my chair, I look in the bowl, the milk had turned to wine. Check, please. Okay, I, I think that makes the point, right? If that's your story, I, I apologize. Um, no, friends, wisdom says don't be weird. Another thing wisdom says is, is don't be over-spiritual. Remember that when you're talking to someone about... Your relationship with Christ, they may not have been sitting in church their entire lives. They may not understand the lingo. They may not have all the terminology down. Help talk to people in ways they can relate to and understand. Don't over-spiritualize the language like the guy does in this clip. One more clip, just one more, because I like him so much. I want to know, what is this whole God thing about, man? You seem so passionate about it. I want to know. Tell oh, me. Okay. Um, and this is actually such a blessing to be able to share this with you. I mean, I, I've been seeking the Lord's face about this very thing. Okay. I, I think for me it all started when I was born. For, for the second time, you know, born again. You see, see, Jesus had to come and live inside of me. And I knew I'd have to become a new creature for that to happen. I mean, you can't put new wine in old wineskins, right? Uh, so, so the old me died, but the new me was resurrected with Christ. And, and when I finally understood that, that the blessings of Abraham are mine, I mean, that's when I started to get excited. I mean, I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I mean, my heart has been circumcised. And yours. Yours can be too. I, I mean, we could pray, we could pray right now, and I could have you washed in the blood in less than 30 seconds. Does that hurt? Alright, those, those are kind of fun, but the point is, Paul says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Think about them. Think about where they're at. Think about what they can handle and what they need and what will help. And again, friends, we will all mess up and the Holy Spirit will cover us and He has our backs. But that is not an excuse to just like, you know, just be the weirdest person you can possibly be. Think about it. Be wise. And then he says, make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. That phrase literally means buy up the time. Make up the most, it means buy up the time. Any of you out there sale mongers, like you love a sale? Like you guys like that? Where you find a sale and it is on something at the store is on sale and you're one of those people, you just go to town and it's like, this is the deal of a lifetime. And you buy like 80 rolls of toilet paper and you stack your attic full because there was a sale and you were going to take advantage of this moment. I did this recently at QFC with yogurt-covered pretzels. I just have to tell you, for some reason, I love 
yogurt-covered pretzels. I don't know why, but the taste of the pretzel with the yogurt on there, it's just so good. I love them. But unfortunately, whoever came up with yogurt-covered pretzels has decided there's like a scarcity of them. And so they package, if you're, they package yogurt-covered pretzels in these teeny little bags. You get like seven precious little pretzels for like $9.95. It's like, are you kidding? It's over a dollar a pretzel. I can't afford these things, but I love them. I love the yogurt-covered pretzels. So the other day, this is actually about a month ago, I was in QFC and there's this giant bin and on the front of it, it says yogurt pretzels, $1.99. And there are these huge, like for yogurt pretzels, enormous bags of yogurt pretzels. And so I'm like looking at it and I'm thinking, what's the catch here? These are generic. These are going to be terrible. And I'm looking at them. They look pretty good. And I'm checking the barcode to make sure this is labeled right. Finally, I d- discovered that it is actually true. They're selling these huge bags of yogurt pretzels for $1.99. I bought like eight bags. We got, enough, we got yogurt pretzels from now until the end of the year. If you need yogurt pretzels, come to my house. I will sell you a bag. $6.99. Special offer. So, Paul is saying here, when you get an opportunity to interact with someone about Jesus, do not let it float past. Buy up the time. You jump on that opportunity, like Pastor Dave jumps on buying yogurt-covered pretzels for $1.99, friends. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Buy up the time. Grab a hold of that moment. Then in verse 6, he says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I want to close this morning talking about this little phrase, seasoned with salt. This phrase was actually used in the first century to refer to witty, amusing, clever, humorous speech. Like, Add some entertainment value. Add some passion. Add some personality to this thing is what Paul is saying here. Remember in Acts chapter 1? Jesus is still around in Acts chapter 1. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to the disciples. And he's kind of continuing on with the great commission that he gave to go and make disciples. And he's encouraging them and he's edifying them and he's pushing them out. And he says, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Like, you're going you're to be my witnesses wherever you go, all over the planet. People are going to be witnessing. And a witness is what? A witness, friends, is someone who has seen and heard and experienced something for themselves. A witness does not have a second-hand experience. A witness has a very personal, first-hand experience. Later on... Paul will use another word, but he kind of offers the same idea. This is 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. People who represent, who actually are the representatives of Christ. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And listen to this. As though God were making his appeal through us. You know how God makes his appeal? You know how God shares his story? You know how God spreads his message? He does it through us, through his followers, through his church. People who have witnessed, who have seen and heard and experienced Jesus for themselves. Friends, this is not some second-hand subject you are passing on to people. Not information passing. I've already told you, you know, don't be weird when you share about Jesus, don't be boring either. 
Don't be boring when you talk about Christ. Remember who you are and what you've experienced. Remember that you are an ambassador. Remember that God himself is making his appeal through you. And put some seasoning on that. Act like it matters. Like you care about it. David Garland is one of my favorite New Testament scholars and he was writing about this passage. He says these words and I love what he says here. He says this. He says, Many in our culture, in our world, believe that obedience to God is tedious, boring, dull. And many believers do their part to confirm this attitude by being tedious, boring, and dull, seasoned with nothing. A wearisome, dreary, lackluster, and insepid presentation of the gospel has done immeasurable harm. Godliness is not to be equated with stodginess. Flat formulas or lifeless platitudes do not capture the gospel's excitement. Talk about Jesus like you know him. Talk about Jesus like he saved you. Talk about Jesus the way he deserves to be talked about. Season those moments with salt. Friends, I was sitting in a preaching seminar once in this very gifted, famous pastor was leading this class and there's all these young people out there these young guys and gals trying to glean from this famous preacher and uh, he lectured for a long time and at the very end of the class he took questions and I'll never forget this because one of the students in the class raised their hand and said how do you keep your sermon so engaging this guy was just the master of engaging with his words phenomenal at it and I remember I don't remember a single thing he taught from that entire class but I do remember this question and I do remember his answer because he stopped for a moment and he thought I could tell he was really thinking hard about this and all of a sudden he said this he said live a life worth talking about and he went on to say trust Jesus so much Yield to the Holy Spirit so fully. Love others so selflessly. Cling to hope so passionately that your life is seasoned and salty and curious and alluring to every single person God puts in your path. Experience Jesus in such a way that when you talk about Him, people are engaged. I love that. So that... And Paul would say this, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, it's more than just having the right answers, more than just logically laying out the gospel or seven steps to come to faith. You know, friends, people can find that stuff on the internet. Our world is looking for folks with real, authentic encounters with the risen Lord. Be one of those people who meets Jesus so that when you meet someone looking for Jesus, you can introduce them. And season it with a little salt. (laughs) If you know Jesus, you won't have to. He brings the salt. And then when they ask, friends, you know, go out there and just bless, bless, bless. And when people ask, be ready to share. You know, be a witness to what God has done in you and an ambassador of Christ himself in the world. That is who you are, church. You see, this fourth environment is about just remembering and resolving to know this. When you leave this room, you go out into that world, and in every single moment, you are a missionary. You are a witness. You are an ambassador. One through whom God wants to speak and bless and change this world. 
Approach the world that way. Remember, it is an environment to live out your faith and be a disciple and grow in faith, love, and hope. That is the church, the church in the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask for your help as we go out into this world. So often we go out defensive and ducking and just trying to make it through. And yet, Lord, change our heart, change our eyes, change our perspective so that we see this world as a place where we are called to live out our relationship with you. Lord, we want to know you so fully and so deeply and so wholly that when people meet us, They sense your Holy Spirit in us. And then when they ask us, Lord, give us the words. Not weird, strange words, but passionate, authentic, true words about who you are. And then, God, we just confess that we cannot make disciples. We cannot grow people. We cannot change their hearts. And so we rely and depend fully on you to do that. We are your people. We are your church. Use us, Lord. Use us to bless this world. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.